Welcome, this is the Change Creator Podcast. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Change Creator Podcast show. If you missed it last week, we had an incredible interview with Joel Solomon. He has been in the impact space for over 30 years. He's an impact investor, and he shares all his strategies, insights. What does he look for from entrepreneurs, but also his experience of 30 years shares a ton of valuable context about the trends and direction of the impact space that every entrepreneur can benefit from. So he was also the cover story for the February edition of Change Creator Magazine. Between the interview and that feature cover story, so much good content, guys. So check that out. You're gonna get a lot of good insights there. Today's guest is Brian Hill. He's the founder of a company called Edobo. They are on a mission to disrupt the prison industry and help everyone connected to incarceration build better lives. And so to do that, they're bringing technology in there for actual rehabilitation, learning, education, helping people do better. Um, and so they're making a major difference and they've raised over you know $17 million in funding because this idea is so big and powerful and important, obviously. We all know, you know, this prison industry is a little bit challenging. Um, okay, I, I use the word a little bit, but actually a lot. Um, as a for-profit system, there's all kinds of downfalls. So Brian's going to talk through all this and how he's how he is building this out and overcoming all these crazy challenges. I mean, it's really an incredible story. I met Brian at a conference in 2018. We just sat down next to each other and started bullshitting. And I heard about how he's got all this funding and he's disrupting the prison industry and it blew my mind. So I'm excited to present this discussion with you and I hope you guys get a lot of good insights from Brian. Um, last but not least, we opened the doors to the Change Creator membership portal. So right now, this is anybody that purchases the Captivate course and then any future course will have access to this portal and it's just an incredible community and dashboard. And so this is where everything will take place. Um, so if you're already a student of Captivate, then you will get notifications from us. You probably already have. And you can start exploring, connecting, and taking advantage of this incredible course. We've released so many cool expert viewpoints from people uh, in different spaces, from PR, branding, all connected to the course and sharing their perspectives and strategies with you. So tons of bonus content to check out in there, guys. Uh, all right, let's dive into this conversation and see what Brian has to say. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Brian, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I, um, you know, just so everybody knows, Brian and I met at a conference in San Francisco in 2018, not too long ago. And, um, you know, we just sat down on a common area and started talking and he's just doing some really cool stuff. So, I'm going to change up how we start this conversation uh, from the typical interview uh, in the past uh, 100 plus episodes. And I'm going to ask you first, what are you doing right now? What are you working on? Uh, so right now, uh, candidly, we are uh, pulling in some additional funding for like, raising a Series B so we can invest a little bit more in the technology that we're, we're developing uh, to improve the way in which criminal justice works in America. So a little bit of fundraising and, and then working in a few jails here on the West Coast. 
Awesome. Awesome. All right. So now, now let's, let's work our way up to that. So, you know, what, I, I guess, first of all, where did this idea come from? I mean, it's a huge issue and you don't hear enough people tackling this problem. I always, I always thought about the prison system and just kind of how kind of messed up it is. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking like these guys sit in a cell all day. We're not preparing them for anything. There's no, there's no quality of life or education. So what brought this idea to you? And if you could take us through that, that would be great. Yeah, no, it's a it's an area that of the of our country that is significant. I mean, seventy million people with records in America, and yet um, so few people at the same time. Uh, I would say have with with the ability to really make differences, make change in the space, or desire to make change in the space. I have been able to uh, to sort of step up and and try to tackle some of the issues, and it's it's so complex as well. But my I, I sort of got introduced to that complexity in, at an early age. My father taught uh, college courses in Folsom Prison in California. Mm. And so at night he would bring home the essays and the stories of students and share them to us, uh, sort of like our bedtime stories. And I, I always say that's enough to, to mess up any kid, but uh, <laughs> but there is uh, a, a reality of, of having nothing to do that is, is pretty hard to comprehend um, and, and a reality of just how much you know, talent and, and opportunity sits within the walls of our correctional facilities in America and yet is untapped um, and underutilized. And so that reality came uh, back into the forefront when I was doing uh, some graduate work in, in Chicago mm-hmm. and working on something called social impact bonds to reduce population in Cook County Jail, the, one of the nation's largest jails. Um, and spending time back in the jail again, 9,000 guys sitting around watching Jerry Springer, you realize very quickly, like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. this is this makes no sense for a- anybody. Um, and so we got to work. We realized we could, if there was a way that we could scalably and meaningfully bring daily access to um, rehabilitation and educational training and programming and treatment, uh, then then by all means, we should do that. And so that's what Adobo has set out to do. Yeah, that's incredible. And I'm, I was pumped to hear that you're working in this space because of all these reasons. And, you know, I always would say to people, I was like, the human mind is like the greatest untapped resource still today. And you're right. And you have all these people in there and we don't know their backgrounds. And, you know, people are born into terrible situations and, you know, you get in trouble and it's like you're you're in a place where now you're not getting any help to improve. And so it's no better for them or us, you know, at, at post release. Right. And isn't there like a you have any idea what their current percentage is for people being re uh, convicted after they're released? Yeah, the metrics kind of go across the board, uh, depending on how you look at recidivism. Um, but recidivism is that is that sort of number that a lot of people that people talk about. Uh, I think it's just because a word most people can't even pronounce. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the percentages are, are in definitely above fifty percent across the nation, and oftentimes reaching seventy percent or higher. Jeez. And so it is. So our, our the return on our investment <laughs> for Take, for putting people in prison uh, is is clearly underwhelming, um, and 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 so it begs the question: What are we doing with this time of, of a literally captive audience uh, to help drive better outcomes? And yeah, uh, yeah, and it's, and and in, in all reality, it's one of the fundamental flaws of the prison system is that we've never really realized, we've never determined as a country or as a state why we incarcerate. Is it to is it for safety? Is it for punishment? 
or is it for rehabilitation? And and not knowing that answer and throwing it in a very bureaucratic system means it's just going to get bigger and more unwieldy. That's interesting perspective. Um, I never really thought about that, actually. Like, what is the purpose? You know, everyone's going to say, well, because they're bad people and they got to be off the streets. And, you know, it, it, I, but really, you know, is it rehabilitation? Um, that's a really good question. So I love, I love the idea. I think it's much more positive, right, to think of a solution of rehabilitation, especially when possible. Um, do you find that there's forces um, in the space, you talked about bureaucracy and stuff like that, that are pushing back on you? Yeah, un- unquestionably, I would say, like, this is America. The beauty about this country is that we all have very different opinions. We make those opinions heard and known. And, and in again, those three, you know, sort of themes that I mentioned, uh, rehabilitation, punishment, safety, are all reasons why if you go into a single facility and you ask different staff members at that facility, you'll generally get those three answers within the same facility. So, so absolutely, I think America is, is split across this one. And, I, and interestingly, I think we all want all of those things is, is at the end game. I mean, no one, no one who wants rehabilitation doesn't want safety. They, they just see rehabilitation as a path towards greater safety. Yeah. Um, yeah. No one who wants, uh, I, I would say punishment may, may fall a little bit outside uh, the realm, but I think even, even within America, we're a, a land where we do believe in justice. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's a tendency sometimes even on the advocacy side to, to, um, oversimplify the complexities of, of, uh, the challenges that happen in, in, in criminal justice. I mean, if someone to, to give someone's, you know, civil liberties, greater credence than, than another's is the challenge. And, and that's why we're, you know, you pe- see people fighting for these, what they would consider you know, civil rights in, in getting people freedom. And yet if those people go out and, and harm people and take and inhibit others, you know, civil liberties, then yeah. we're no better off. So it's, it is, it's a, it's an incredibly complex issue. And I think that's why, um, very little has been done because they're they are not simple answers. And anyone who comes to this space with simple answers, like uh, you know, or simple or uh, you know, single issue answers, clearly hasn't either spent enough time in the space or yeah. hasn't been intellectually honest enough to realize it's deeper than that. Yeah, you know, somebody, it's it is complex. God, and and the more you talk and and say these things, it opens up even more complexity in my mind around the issue. And um, you know, I I see on your website it says here every year twelve million people in the U.S. will see the inside of a jail cell or prison cell. Is that twelve million new people? You have, I mean, you have a lot of repeat offenders. There's 11 to 12 million people cycle through mm-hmm. jails and prisons. Some will make it to a prison. Some will, will make it in for an hour in, in a sort of a drunk tank. Uh, but but you're, those are people who are clicking through the system. And with that comes oftentimes a record and a, that may then affect them for the next 10 years. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a rotation that you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a huge proponent of, uh, you know, human, I love studying like human behavior and things like that. So the idea of taking a first step, bringing education, and we're going to just dive into how you're doing that in a second, you know, into these, um, prison environments, it's starting to change the dynamic of that environment. Right. And, you know, if the environment is shaping the behavior of people, then these are the types of steps you start taking to change the behavior of people. Um, so tell me a little bit about how 
you started, because you obviously have a huge educational library, right? So you had to build that. Like, how do you start building this business and getting it off the ground? Like, where did you begin? Yeah, so, I mean, when when we first started, again, it's, it's a, a challenging space to enter. Um, we today, uh, and, and we'll you know, make into the details of this, but today we are a, uh, a content creator and curator. We are a uh, LMS and software developer and provider, in, including security features. We are a uh, wireless network installer and maintainer. Uh, we are a hardware manufacturer uh, of secure tablets and devices, um, and we sell into government. And we're a communications provider, a, a, tel- a telephone company, um, and a and in other communications products as well as sort of a consultancy. And so like those are those are all individual businesses in of themselves. Yeah. And yet in order to operate in this space, again going back to the complexity, we had to do all those things. We we started out hoping that we could actually just replace the daytime television, that we could put educational materials on the on the TVs that were already installed and it would be great. And you just stick this sort of box in the back in the in that control room, an IT room, and, and you're set. Um, that was a terrible idea, despite having, <laughs> you know, having believed in that idea and, and sold many people on that idea. It didn't take more than five seconds, uh, literally five seconds in the room when we turned the TVs on for the first time with that educational programming to realize just how off we were. Yeah. Um, but the, but and so we had to individualize the learning and, and we had to, um, we did that through secure tablets. And so now, like I said, we install wireless networks that don't exist in most correctional facilities um, to bring connectivity, secure connectivity in, and open up a private cloud where people can engage with this Adobe platform, this incentive-based learning platform. Right. And yes, it's tens of thousands of hours of content and it's dynamic and it's video and it's audio because there's literacy challenges and other things. Um, and it rewards them for the engagement and it's, and it's and nudging them along the way. Um, but I, but it's, uh, we're, we're making this possible so that way with everybody on the inside has free daily access uh, to tools from literacy to college coursework and vocational training and soft skills training and certificate earning, uh, as well as they're, uh, helping them think about the decision making and the, and, the, and really the, the simple decisions, cognitive behavioral therapy, anger management, PTSD, parenting while incarcerated. Um, so it's it's been tremendous to see uh, the 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 engagement and the impact that that is having on on individuals in their lives. Yeah, so I'm going to want to tap into engagement um, and the time that you've been doing this and what you've learned so far. But before I do, um, I am curious about how you, what steps did you have to take to get all this educational content put together? I mean, did you have to, um, how did you find people to teach the content, put it together, record it? Did you need to raise your first round of funding to do that? I'd I'd like to tap into those steps of building this business. I think that's gonna be really helpful for people to understand just in general as building a business, right? Yeah, I think the, as an entrepreneur, I think that one of the first things you have to, to realize is that you're not right most of the time. <laughs> you have to accept the fact that you're going to be wrong a lot um, and that it's most important just to, to listen and watch the dynamics of the market. And um, and then, and, I, and it's important to be married to the outcome that you want, not to the idea. Because again, your ideas are going to be wrong, um, but the mission has never changed. We want people to have real opportunity for to, to change and, and to and to have opportunity to access um, meaningful life-changing material and so 
yeah, we were we got in the content creation business to begin as we were creating the TV. We definitely had to raise funding, early funding, um, as an impact company and as an impact focused company. Uh, we have been fortunate to see funding come from foundations, uh, both as grants and as what's called p- a program related investment (PRI). Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a lot of family offices who believed in in the mission of what we were trying to accomplish uh, that engage with us both from a um, again from a foundational level as well as from an investment level. And then we we live in a world where there have now where there's a, in America we've developed this very strong impact investing. Uh, yeah. You know, group and 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 all of those folks are mission and uh, mission in return, but but committed to what we're what we're doing. So uh, we've been very fortunate on the on the funding front. But it does. But as you can imagine, um, again, creating we're doing a lot of R and D. We're creating tablets. We're creating content. We're we're licensing content. We're installing wireless networks to to launch a facility. Uh, just to give an example. When we go into a large jail, it costs us four and a half million dollars to install that jail. So as you can imagine, that um, just to just to l- turn the lights on uh, across the facility, in a sense, um, and so it it is it is it is a pretty heavily you know heavy capex and and investment heavy in- industry. Um, but again, that's what we, was required to to make it possible. Um, and so again, uh, like you said, we we raised funding along the way. Uh, again, from impact investors and foundations. And and how much funding did you start with, I guess, on your first round to facilitate, I guess, the initial developments of the educational programming and hiring? I guess you had, I don't know, did you work with a lot of contractors or did you hire people straight up? We we primarily hired, we had a lot of, um, we had, you know, interns and volunteers for you know, for some, for the summer, especially on the content side, mm. um, a lot of folks who just, again, believed in the mission in the early days. I mean, as much as you are a social enterprise in, in for all intents and purposes, you're a, a nonprofit, uh, for the first year, couple of years, yeah. uh, you're definitely not, uh, pro- pro- actually, yes, yeah, for the first several years, um, you're, you're just investing uh, dollars. And so, it was a, a lot of just sweat equity, a lot of labor, um, and um, and I think and, and again the key was you just you it's piece by piece, right? So you you start with the lowest entry point, the the minimum viable product that you can get in. I mean, I remember when we first just sold the tablet idea. I, I went to uh, a store, bought a tablet, opened up the box on my way to the sheriff's office was peeling off the packaging as I'm walking into the room for the meeting. And then I just sold the vision of what we were going to build. And I said, is this something you guys would do? Cause up to that point, we didn't believe that they would accept that they would even let us bring tablets in the door. Um, most people thought we were crazy and, and would never believe. In fact, we got laughed out of a meeting, uh, at a conference with some folks who had been doing technology in prisons for a long time. Cause they, they just thought we were crazy to think we'd bring tablets into it. Get out of here. Yeah. And so, uh, but, you know, we we sold the vision. The sheriff said yes. Went to the next one. He said yes too. And then we had to figure out how to actually turn the device on and <laughs> make. make- <laughs> so, so basically, okay. So you just sold the idea, and now no, it sounds like you had wins um, from people. So the people that laughed you out of the room, they, I mean, it's incredible. So you go and you you say, all right, well, I'm going to go buy a tablet, walk into a sheriff's office, and see if they're down with this idea. And did you get a lot of no's, or was everyone kind of optimistic about it? Um, I think everyone's actually really optimistic about it. I think, I think they, they there is one thing that is pretty hard to, um, it's, you can't fake genuine. Um, and we, and we truly believe that we could, 
uh, change the dynamic of the market and that we could um, that we could deliver on on what we were promising securely um, and that we could change change the way in which a facility operated and we've seen that play out in hundreds of facilities across the country now but um, in the beginning we just we, we knew that was possible um, and I think and people read that they see genuine they see passion um, and I think those sheriffs there were several sheriffs uh, that were willing to give us a lot of tether to try some stuff. Um, and I, you know, kudos to good leadership anywhere it lives because that's what allows great things to, to build and to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. And so as you were trying to raise funding and it sounds like you need a substantial amount, um, what was the steps you took and the biggest challenges or objections you had to figure out how to overcome? Yeah, I think um, I think that same comment about being genuine and um, and passionate plays into the into funding as well. Um, funding is an interesting thing. I, I people I I sincerely believe that in the impact space, there's there's actually plenty of dollars and investment ready to go. It's really hard to find uh, real real businesses and real opportunities that will that will drive the impact that we want um, and will be sustainable. And uh, and so we, we fortunately had uh, a model that we, we believe could, could do both. Um, and, and we were very quick to pivot. So we raised small amounts and, and continuously raised uh, small amounts. I and mean, we, we've, I guess, officially done five, four or five rounds of funding, um, but all, all pretty small dollar amounts because we, we just wanted to keep going. We wanted to prove it out, and that's a, you know it's a it's a philosophy and approach we took. That's not necessarily what everyone takes, but we took uh, chunks of change along the way and said, "Hey, let us prove it to you. Give us a little bit. Let us prove it to you." Um, and so, and that allowed us to sort of adapt and, and change as we went along. Uh, one of the things, yeah. So I mean, it's it was uh, I think, and I, as far as objections went. Yeah. We were stepping into a market that the reality was no investor knows anything about this industry, um, and so w- it was it was it was a unique time because because uh, we pretty much had to educate them about the industry, and then they had to trust that we were educating them properly, um, and and I mean to stay, I believe we were, and we were always being genuine and honest in that in that approach, um, but they were they were pretty reliant on us for both the information on the industry and whether or not this would work and how it would work. Um, and so we've really had to forge our own path in that. That's pretty intense because, you know, we always talk about, let's say if we were raising money, it'd say, well, we need we need to find investors who are knowledgeable about this media space. Or, you know, if you're in the SaaS space, it's, you know, investors in there or e-commerce. Like, you know, they have these categories. But you're right. There's no investors in this particular space that you're playing in. So you had an extra layer of... Uh, barriers to get through, which is you have to actually educate them and earn the fact, the trust that they actually believe what you're saying. <laughs> but it sounds like they were just really, um, I guess, behind the idea. They, they, I think most people see the problem with the prison system, but they don't have solutions. And to have someone bring a solution up like this probably was uh, very uh, exciting for people. For sure, it's it's when when you have these complex issues that are so hairy and have lived for decades now, you hear a lot of people complain about them, but very few people are really coming with solutions that have any any like 
sustainable or scalable merit. Yeah. And so um, just, just the hope and the, the hope of that, I think, was exciting for a lot of people. Right, right. And it, would there be anything that if you went back and started over again that you would do differently? Oh, there's plenty of things. You know, I, I say that, but in reality, um, again, going back to the decisions we made at the time we made them with the information we had. Yep. No, I mean, we, I feel like we, we marched forward to the best that we knew how. I think the, um, some of the toughest, uh, yeah, some of the, some of the toughest challenges were, because everything was new and because there were no investors to be able to give guidance on making bolder moves. Um, I think early on I, it would, I think we could have moved a little bit faster and made some bolder moves. I think we were, we had to learn it. You know, it, sometimes you'd see a, an opportunity it would take you three months just to learn about exactly what, how that would dynamic would play out. And by three months you'd sort of miss the opportunity. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where, um, I guess I would say maybe a little bit bolder, a little bit faster. Um, but again, we, there's also this that the balance of you're entrusted with the investment of, of other people you're entrusted and you have a you don't want to ruin this opportunity to really make a change and so you want to be bold but you also don't want to you know break the ship and and not be effective yeah uh, absolutely. and have to close doors because it's it's too important what we're trying to accomplish is, is too important yeah um and so what has been some of the learnings then you guys have been t remind me you've been now when did you get into your first prison yeah we launched first tablets essentially like end of 2014 beginning of 2015 mm -hmm. um so it's what are we three years now i guess 15 six, i guess maybe that's four years now <laughs> yeah you're hitting four now <laughs> yeah so and and it's been great we've reached you know well over 100,000 people across the country who've been incarcerated uh, we're we're doubling you know in growth year on year um in the, in the number of people we're reaching and and most importantly like we 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 feel like we have the sort of the marching orders to go and rapidly scale at this stage and that that it's taken some time to put all those pieces into place. Um, I think one of the, the key learnings that that is, you know, can be is a learning that goes across all uh, fields. It is the again I talked about getting married to the mission and and not the the idea. Um, but another another key learning uh, is just that the problem that you're actually trying to solve for. Oftentimes is or the, uh, the problem that you have to solve for is not the problem you thought you came to solve for. Um, so again, we wanted to make education possible freely, and there's a lot of ways to do that on a micro level. Um, you, there there are programs and volunteers that go in and 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 do that. Um, but ironically, the biggest challenges for us, the real problems we had to solve was was payment and procurement when selling into government. Um, and when you think about you know you think about a company like Pearson. Um, you know, a lot of people give Pearson a hard time for not having necessarily the best uh, material or, or you know, caring about the content and the learning outcomes. But the truth is what they've figured out very well is how to sell into education. They are a machine at that, and that's that's why they're big, and that's why they they have the sort of market share they have, um, despite maybe some tools that are incredibly powerful living outside the world of Pearson ever be big. Um, and that's and the same thing is true in the correction space. If we... We came to the space with education, and as I mentioned in the beginning, we're now a communications company as well. And that's because we realized that 
we to create a new procurement vehicle to to sell into a jail so they would buy tablets was very challenging but they had these two very consistent procurement instruments for commissary and phones uh, that were just every three years were coming up and we could tie into those and then scale much more rapidly Um, now the people who ran in the phone space were you know fairly predatory companies that were admittedly not uh definitely not mission aligned um, but we partnered with lots of companies to begin to get our name out there and to, and to see to make sure the model would work. And then we actually bought a phone company, uh, and we we bought one of them so that way we could restructure that model, uh, make communication much more affordable and accessible to so people could stay in touch with their support networks, which was equally as critical, to be honest, uh, as as keep giving them giving them the ability. To, the ability to work on things while they're there, but also keeping them in touch with their support network, both are so critical for their return um, and re-entry. Um, and so we were able to, to buy that company. Um, but that was not, I mean, if you would have told me four years ago, hey, the way you're going to make education possible is to bid phone contracts in prisons. <laughs> that, <laughs> right. I would not have been what I would have I would not have, I would thought you're crazy. Um, and now, and now we see this is exactly it. In fact, I, today, I, I believe that prison communications contracts hold the key, uh, to driving some of the fastest population reduction and, and criminal justice reform in America. Um, and, and we're going to try to prove that out. Yeah. Wow. Give me, I, you know, it's, it's overwhelming just hearing all the things that you had to work through, um, you know, buying a phone. You do have several businesses working in in tandem to create one larger to hit one larger mission. Basically, as it sounds like. Um, I'm curious. So, isn't there? And maybe this is my ignorance in the prison space. But are as being private? Do they? I'm just curious. Like, isn't there a certain level of occupancy that has to be maintained in order to get a deal for the supplies and food and all those things from private companies? I was always curious if that would be a challenge. Like those people don't want to see prison population go down. Is that a myth or is that a true challenge? Yeah, no. So it's the private, the private prison dilemma. And, and um, so again, this is where I take a fairly pragmatic approach that made, you know, differ from from others who are uh, again I would def- definitely differ from I would say where abolitionists sit in the fact that we should never have prisons and then uh, where many of the advocates sit but private prisons take a lot of heat um, and rightfully so <laughs> I mean it, they, they operate it, it's not too different than healthcare right I mean the, it's the challenge we have in healthcare as well why for outcomes we're paying for people being in beds and that's a bad incentive to have and unquestionably the contracts and the way they're designed for private prisons are terribly unhealthy ironically if you design those contracts properly and put the incentives in the right place they actually you know private prison companies theoretically have the, have a much stronger position uh, to move faster and make changes quicker than the public. So the other thing to, to that's really important to note is private prisons make up about six to eight percent of the total uh, corrections uh, prison wow. population. Okay. And so they're really, in a sense, significant in the fact that the way in which again they operate is not good. Um, and it's sad that they're actually oftentimes worse than the public prisons, just because it's like, come on, like, if you're going to be good at one thing, like try to be good at that. Yeah. Uh, so it, it it has played out very poorly, and and they are not um, the best actors for sure. Um, but the public prisons, again, people fail to recognize they have all the same incentives. I mean, prisons are built in small towns, 
if you shut down a prison, you shut down a town. You've you've just you destroyed the jobs package that some you know congressman or or state senator built twenty years ago. Um, every every one of those elected officials wants a prison in their the very corner of their district. <laughs> it's, a, it's a jobs package, and and it's unhealthy. It's so the incentives are all the incentives to lock up more people are sadly there to a great extent in the publics and the privates. Um, and so I don't think that um, there's a significant uh, significant difference. I think, um, and I think there's a real opportunity on both the state and the private level to make significant changes in just how we how we contract and how we view the purpose of what prisons can do. So. Yeah, I mean, it can almost change the role of the jobs, right? You know, I always hear people saying things, just as an example, um, oh, well, we can't just get rid of, you know, the oil and fossil fuel industry because all those jobs, and I that, that argument drives me nuts. I get people need jobs, but geez. Um, you know, and I always think, well, if we're leaning into the clean energy space, just like we may lean into more of a... Um, uh, rehabilitation and you know caretaking space where we educate and get people back into society, um, they can have jobs in that role. So it's like taking people in the fossil fuel energy and putting them in roles where now they're they're working towards the clean energy sector instead, and we we teach them and they take those jobs. So I don't yeah, know if sure. that's a fantasy or not, but it seems like that would be the natural transition. Yeah, we surely don't make that argument in the drug world, right? Oh, <laughs> no. Why we can't get rid of drugs? All those corner, you know, all the guys selling drugs on the corner. What are they going to do? Where their job? We don't. That's the last concern that we seem to have there. Um, we impose that that concern when we when we don't want to see change that needs to happen. Um, and so again, I think there are lots of models. I mean, if you just think about a prison model that incentivizes uh, decreased recidivism or incentivizes you know attainment and progress on them and and lower risk profiles upon exit. Just that simple change, and 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 if you associate payment with that success, you change the dynamic overnight. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But we don't. Instead, we pay for beds, and we. Uh, it's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, these are the these are the frustrating. This brings out the activist in me. <laughs> you know, yep. gets me inspired. So anybody listening, I mean, this is a space that needs a lot of thought. Um, and it's definitely not easy, but, you know, obviously Brian, you have some great success and you're, you're basically trailblazing here, um, and really disrupting the space, uh, in an incredible way. And it sounds like to me, I realize there's been a lot that's been put into it, but as you're setting this foundation, um, you know, buying the phone company, getting tablets in prisons, that's just the beginning. I can see in, t in a complete, uh, evolution that continues in the space as you're just starting this right now, it seems to me. Yeah, unquestionably. And that's why I say again, for as, as odd as it sounds, I believe prison phone contracts hold some of the greatest keys to uh, restructuring the way criminal justice works in America. Awesome. Awesome. And my last wrap up here is going to say, and, and I know you probably have a million things you'd want to share here, but I'm always curious, like, what do you think has been the most important or valuable um, step um, or, you know, idea that you've had that has helped make this possible? Like, if there was one piece of advice you might give somebody from your, all your experience um, who's interested in, you know, the mission and impact space, whether it's prison or not, just something that you found valuable building this business as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think, I guess if I'm thinking about the impact space specifically, um, 
I, I guess I would encourage entrepreneurs to embrace the complexity <laughs> because yeah. again, there are, there are not simple answers to these questions. And it, and it just is, it's really frustrating when, when I hear things, uh, that they get too oversimplified. They are, they are complex issues and, and you have to embrace that complexity and then think modularly. Um, because if we're, if you try to solve it all, you, you will precipitously <laughs> fail. Yeah. Uh, because it will, it is, uh, it, it's too hard. Like you're, you're trying to solve a, an incredibly dynamic issue that has, that is multi-layered. And so create a solution the scalable but modular, so that way the next entrepreneur that comes along, or the next impact, you know, foundation or 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 even um, you know nonprofit that's there can can tie into what you're doing, and add that next layer of complexity. You know, solve the next layer of complexity, or once you create scale, then you can start tackling the next layer of complexity. But embrace the complexity, yeah. think modularly, um, and be okay in the short run not solving everything. Yeah, I think I would tie that right into, um, you know, stay married to the outcome, right? So if you stay married yep. to the outcome and you tackle a complex problem, it's okay if you have a unique business model that is, like you said, modular, right? Because it's complex. It takes a multifaceted approach. Um, and I guess to your point, it's kind of like just take each each one, like one step at a time and based on, I guess, priority or something. but. I think it's smart. Like, and I feel like people get so wrapped up in um, having a certain type of business model. And I think, in the, especially in the mission space, it's you're going to have something unique. It's okay to be different. Complex is probably going to be just part of <laughs> the experience. I love your answer. So I think it makes sense. And people run away from those things um, and think they're doing something wrong if it gets too complex like that. So I love the modular approach and stay married to the outcome. That's, that's huge. You bet. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Let's give you, I want people to be able to just learn a little bit more. Um, if you're interested, guys, you can stop over at uh, edovo.com. Very simple, just E-D-O-V as in Victor, O.com. So edovo.com, you can check them out. Got some videos, some information. Um, Brian, anything you want to add? You good? No, I appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, I appreciate all the insights and uh, congratulate you on the work that you're doing. Um, we're here. Let's stay in touch and we'll talk soon. Okay, sounds great. Have a good one. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast.